Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off. We're at page one twenty. The last few words. The last few words in the bottom of one nineteen B, and we learned in the Mishnah an argument in the Rabbis and Abel Lazar that if two uh, sisters-in-law come and testify that their husbands died and um, so they're believed on themselves we believe them that their husbands died and they're allowed to do yibum we don't believe them for the for their sister-in-law so but if we believe each one we believe on herself regarding herself her husband died and therefore she's she's uh, li- she's eligible for yibum so they're surviving brothers other two surviving brothers so each one marries a surviving brother then they die. Question is, are they free? Because because there's no one left. The two brothers, we said that they're dead, and the two brothers, the surviving brothers that married the two widows, also died. So are they free to marry? So the rabbi said, no, they're not free to marry because because as far as each sister-in-law is concerned, there's still one brother is still alive. We don't know that the there is no there is no surviving brother. Just because the sister-in-law testified that her husband died, it's only good enough for her. It's not good enough for her sister-in-law. So for each one, we assume that the brother's alive. And Abel Laza disagrees. Abel Laza says, no. Since you allowed them to get married, you gave a ruling based on the fact that, that, um, that their, their, their husband died, So therefore, you gave a ruling based on the uh, based on the fact that the husbands died. So you can't give a ruling the husband died, and therefore, based on that, you allowed her to marry the brother-in-law, and then say, you know what? Maybe he's still alive. So the sister-in-law is not free to marry outside. It's like a contradiction. I mean, if he's still alive, how did you allow? If you suspect that he's still alive, how did you allow the wife, his widow? How did your life his his wife to to marry the brother-in-law? A, it's adultery, and secondly, it's a brother-in-law, <laughs> which is prohibited, you know, um, while the husband's alive. So obviously, once you give her a ruling, it means you're saying with certainty that the husband is dead. So if the husband is dead, then even the sister-in-law is free to go. There's no there's no one left to do yibum with. That's that's what Rabbi Lazar says. Rabbi says, what's the reason of Rabbi Lazar? Is it the reason is because we believe, he believes that a co-wife could testify for another wife, even though we said earlier, we established that it's one of the five women who hate each other and a co-wife cannot testify. No one argues with that. Even Abelazo doesn't argue with that. Yeah, but, he, but Abelazo would say, argue that that's only if, if she comes just to testify solely for her sister-in-law. She's married. Her husband is alive. She's coming to testify that her that her her, her, her sister-in-law, her brother-in-law, is dead. So she's only coming to testify for her, her sister-in-law. Then we say we don't trust her. But in our case, she didn't come to testify for her sister-in-law. She came to testify for herself that her husband died to free her, to free herself that she she's free to marry. Or if there's a yibum, so she can take care of the yibum and then we'll do a chalitza and then she's free. So, but. Incidentally, not incidentally, as consequently, as a consequence of her, automatically, she's also testifying. 
she's also testifying that that uh, that her that her sister was free, because the sister says that her husband-in-law died, and 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 therefore, and now she's free because her brother was also dead. So it's 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 like an unintended consequence. So therefore, in that case, maybe Rabbi Lazar says we do believe this co-wife. We don't say that she's so vengeful and she's so hateful. That she's gonna make up a story about herself just just to mess up her system. She's no. gonna say that her husband has died, even though her husband is really alive, just to mess up her system. No, that far we don't go. That's either that's the reason of Rabbi Lazar, right, right. or the What we can say that she's not gonna ruin herself. She's not gonna just right. ruin herself. Because, the, right, because they say that her husband died and then she went and did Yibum, commits adultery. Right. You commit adultery yeah. with her brother in law, right. no less, which is paper the third because her husband is alive. Right. So far, we don't, we don't go the, that far. My nafkin, what's the practical difference whether this reason or the other reason? The mother says on the top of 120a, the last chapter of Yivam is Lansubi Litzadimakamedida. The question is, if if the co-wife could marry could marry before the one who testified. Right, the co-wife goes right out. Her, she hears the she right. hears the words, and then right away right. she gets married. Right, right. I'm going to tell her to if you say the reason is because she's believed that she's believed to say. Her friend, because she's really coming to testify about herself, an unintended consequence. It helps her friend in that case. It's fine. She's not not gonna. She's not thinking of that. Just thinking about herself, and she's telling the truth. If that's the case, See, even though the one who testified didn't yet marry, we believe her. We believe her that her husband is dead, and the tzara, the co-wife, is now free to go. She says her husband is dead, and now there's no there's no one to do yibu. But Amrit, if you're gonna say, the reason we believe her is because she's not gonna ruin herself. That's only in the case. If she herself gets married based on the testimony, say, wait a minute. She's committing adultery. She she hates her sister-in-law so much that she's ready to commit No, that not to that extent, she's ready to commit adultery, to destroy her life. Then we believe and then we allow the co-wife to marry. But she herself did not yet marry. In that case, then we can't allow the co-wife to marry. They she lied. Yeah. What's the answer? What's the solution? Which one is it? But it's a touch my bring your proof. And our mission. Rabbi gives a reason. He says the reason is since you allow them to marry to the Yabam, meaning you made a statement that the husband is dead. And based on that, you took an action that you allow them to marry the brother-in-law. Otherwise, how could she marry the brother-in-law? It's adultery and it's a brother-in-law. So therefore, when the brother-in-law dies, even the sister-in-law is free because we, we, we already established the brother-in-law is dead. If the reason is because a woman won't ruin herself for the sake of harming, harming her enemy, her rival, her co-wife.
I'm saying, I mean, her sister-in-law. Yeah, that's what that's what it means. Since she married, the mission is talking about a case where they married. They both got married. Since she married the brother-in-law, that means she's stating that that she's not going to ruin herself. It means we believe her. Their husband is really dead. So otherwise, she wouldn't commit adultery and live with her brother-in-law just to just to ruin her her sister-in-law. How you can say the reason is because she's believed to testify as an unintended consequence. She's believed to testify for sister-in-law. Even if she didn't marry. No, from here is approved. Time and Rabbi Lazar needs to lay makalka nafsha. That's the reason because she wouldn't destroy her life. So that's why we believe her. He says, no, it's not approved. Rabbi Lazar is saying according to the rabbis. He said, according to me, according to me in general, as long as she's testifying for herself as an unintended consequence, she's freeing her sister-in-law, we believe her. She doesn't have to get married. I've got layman's been law. Even if she didn't get married, we allow the sister-in-law to marry. El did according to you. Even according to you, you say you don't believe. In all circumstances, you don't believe the sister-in-law. Even even if it's an, as an unintended consequence, she's coming pract- primarily to testify in herself. Still, no, we don't believe his sister-in-law. So, at least you should admit to me in the case where she marries, to the extent which based on a testimony about herself that her husband died, she goes ahead and marries the brother-in-law. So, you're going to say she's committing adultery and live with the brother-in-law? Surely, in that case, you have to believe her. And we should allow the sister-in-law to marry. And with Rabbanon, the rabbis disagree. Why? Because the rabbis argue, Thomas It's a case where I'll die to spite, I'll spite myself. I'll cut off my nose to spite you. She'll drill a hole in the boat and take everybody away. Right? Yeah, as long as, as, long as you drown yeah, with me. Right, yeah. We'll both die together. Right, everybody We're both ruined. Right. I hate you so much. I don't care. My life is ruined. We're both, as long as you also. So that's what Shimshin did, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll bring you a proof. We learned about Isaac, yeah, I'm a woman who went with her husband overseas above our maze of violence. She came back and my husband died. She may marry and collect the but her co wife is forbidden to marry based on, on this testimony. She's only believing in herself, not in the co wife. No. If, you'll, if you say the husband is dead, then you allow her to marry, so the husband is dead. He's also dead for the co wife. So what do we see from here? And if you give permission to one, is an unintended consequence. You allow the other to marry as well. It doesn't say she has to get married. Just the fact he gave her permission, putra. So we see that one is believed in the other, as long as she's not coming to testify for the other. She's coming to testify for herself. The mother says, no, Ema, it's not a proof. Ema, says, since she went ahead and got married, only in the case she got married, then she's believed. Okay, I don't understand even the question. It's one of the five that's not believed, the co-wife. Right. So what, what do you mean? According to, according to this, when would, when, would the, when would the mission say a co-wife is not believed? The answer is, when the mission says a co-wife is prohibited, he's only talking about an ex-co-wife. Let's say the co-wife was divorced, but she once was a co-wife. And then she comes to testify for her co-wife. Then the Mishnah says we don't believe her. But in the case where she's testifying for herself and has unintended consequence, they're both married. And when she says that her husband died and she's free as an unintended consequence, of course, the other one is also free. So even though she didn't go ahead and marry, just the fact they gave her permission to marry, 
in that case you believe her. So Mishnah Gemara says not approved. No, maybe the Brisa says she went ahead and married based on that permission. So then you say that's the reason. She wouldn't go and ruin herself and commit adultery just to, just to mess up her co-wife. So only then do we believe it. Even after she marries, why, why don't we worry about that maybe she came overseas with a get? So that's why she's not committing adultery. She didn't tell anyone she get, got a get. Really overseas, the husband gave her a get. So she's not ruining herself. She's not ruining herself. She's allowed to marry. She has a get. The other one thinks, thinks that she doesn't have a get. Yeah. She's lying. She's, she's like being underhanded. She's pretending as if she's still married. Her husband died. Really, the husband never died. She's free to marry because she has a get. So she's not committing adultery. She's not committing any sin. She's not ruining herself. But she's just ruining. Only one she's ruining is, is her sister-in-law. So how do we trust her? How do you say, even if she goes ahead and marries, how could you believe her? If she testified to you, so you're right. It's no proof that she's ruining herself. Maybe she's, she really has a get. And that's why she's marrying an Israelite. And she's just ruining her sister-in-law. Pretending as if she doesn't have a get. Pretending that the only reason she's marrying this Israelite is because her husband died. And really is alive and well and kicking. And, and, and she's going to ruin her, sister, her co-wife because she's going to go ahead and marry even though the husband is still alive and she's going to be ruined. She's going to have to leave her husband. And, um, but Hacham Ayaskina, when do we say, when does the mission say that we believe her and we allow her, to co-wife, to marry? Hacham Ayaskina, this is what she marries a Koyan. So again, she's not going to ruin her life because if she has a divorce, she's not allowed to marry a Koyan. She's not going to do something that's prohibited for herself just to mess up, just to ruin Anyway, so the mother remains with the question. It doesn't give us a clear answer. What's the reasoning for Rabbi Lazar? Next Mishnah. You're not allowed to testify regarding the identity of a dead man to allow his wife to remarry. Only if they see the face with the nose. This means the forehead, the eyes, the mouth, the cheeks. I'm sorry, the forehead. The forehead and the cheeks. The eyes and the mouth don't have to be intact. But the forehead and the cheeks have to be intact. And the nose. And the nose. The, fore, the face and the nose have to be intact. What are we talking about? We're talking about you only have a face severed from the body. You're trying to identify the face. If I identify the face, then I know he's dead. But what if the whole body is intact? What if the whole body is intact, but the face has been bludgeoned and the face is, is unidentified? Could, could you identify the body just based on the body? So some say you could. You can identify the body, even if the face is mutilated. Now the Rishenim, the Rashi says no. There's an argument in Rashi and Teisvus, Rashi says no. Even if the body is whole, the body alone is not enough. I need to identify the person by his face. Without that, just identifying the dead man's body and his garments is not enough. In our case, with the mole, maybe there's another person who has the same mole. 
According to Rabbeinu Tam, there's a difference. If, a, if the body is intact, but the face is unidentifiable, is bludgeoned or unidentifiable, then he says you can still testify if, you rec- if there's some money in the body. When the Mishnah says you don't believe some money in the body, it means if it's only a body. The body is severed from the head. I'm just looking at the body, even if it has signs, I don't believe it. But if the whole body is intact, but I, I don't have signs in the, in the face, because the face is not unrecognizable, I can still testify. I recognize this person. I see the whole person, so it recognizes me. I recognize the person. But the, mission, the beginning of the mission is talking about if it, all, all there is is the head, if all there is is the face, if all there is is the face, a severed face, then the mission says that, um, that you have to have the, the nose and the, and the, and the cheeks and the, and the forehead. Okay, then the Mishnah continues. Wait, wait, time, time out. Yeah. Yeah. He can only testify after he dies. You have to wait there and be there present when his soul leaves his body. Even if they see him suffering from a, de- a deadly wound. He was hacked. He was hacked, hacked to death. They see him hacked, but he's still alive. Vitsalo, or he's, he's been hanging from a gallows, you know, on the cross. Or being devoured by wild bees, but as he's still alive, he can't, they can't testify. They have to be there when his soul, when he dies, when his soul leaves his body. And he says, He also is not allowed to testify in man's identity only within three days of his death. Because afterwards, he's beyond recognition. The, the corpse, the corpse is bl- becomes bloated. Not all men, not all places, not all times alike. You can't make a, a general rule till three days. It depends on the climate. You know, there, 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 are, pe- there are people who are preserved thousands of years. They're well preserved in ice and ice and the water. Different, right? Exactly. And the Rabbanon, the Rabbis learn, Paracha, Paracha, if they only see the forehead, but not the form of the face, parts of the Paracha, or they see the form of the face without the forehead, they meet, and I'm not allowed to testify, till they see both of them, the form of the face and the forehead, together with the nose. That's what he's explaining. The Bryce is explaining when the Mishnah says, that the form of the face is not only the cheeks, but it includes the forehead. What's the source in the passage? says in Isaiah, at the recognition of their face testifies their identity. So you can recognize a person from his face. <coughs> the face and not the body. So how do I know it means, it doesn't say in the Pasuk, how do I know it means the cheeks and the forehead and the nose? That's logical. That's, that's the features of the face. <coughs> it says no, the mother is bringing a proof that the form of the face means the cheek and the nose and the forehead. Well, how do we see this from the verse? The Pasuk would say their faces testified, fine. But he doesn't say that. He said, the recognition of their face. That in other words, there's a feature in the face which causes recognition. And that is the cheeks and the nose and the forehead.
You want to memorize a person's face. You want to memorize it's what stands out the forehead, the cheeks, and the nose. Continues. Marta is also known Why did he have Marta was his mother, and Minyumi was his father. He's named after his mother and his father. The son of his mother, the son of Marta, and the son of Minyumi. He owed money to a member of Reish Galusa's household. He brought wax. He attached it to a small rag and attached it to his forehead. And then he passed in front of his creditors and didn't recognize him. He put it in disguise. He wore a disguise. Hollywood. He was the first Hollywood actor. He put a disguise that he didn't want them to recognize him. Because otherwise, you know, they would, they would uh, pressure him. He, what did he have to cover? He didn't have to change his whole face. All he had to change was his forehead. You change the forehead and you don't recognize the person anymore. It's a different person. If you want to go in disguise, incognito, just change your forehead and you won't recognize it. Okay, interesting. No, forehead, interesting. Cover your forehead. Yeah, interesting. Half a money. That even though there's simonim in the body, in the garments, but if there's no simonim in the face, you don't, you don't, uh, you can't testify. You're telling me that uh, that uh, identifying marks are not considered reliable biblically. I'll ask you a question. If a person was charged with delivering a get and he lost it. And then he found it tied to his money bag or purse or to his ring. Or was found amongst his utensils. Even after a long time had passed. We say it's valid. This is the get that he received from, from the husband and he can give it to the wife. Because it's tied to his, to his personal belongings. Be biblically... Foolproof that it's really the, the get. You can't play around with the get. You're talking about the releasing a woman, allowing it to marry. She's no longer married. It's not adultery. So it means identifying marks are biblically valid. So how can you say you don't rely on simonim? If I have a sim in this body and I have identifying marks in the body and on his clothes, what do you mean that you don't rely on it? You rely on it to release a woman to marry. That means it's biblically valid. Why in this case don't you rely on it to allow her to marry? We have proof identifying marks that he's dead. It's like Kasha, it's not a contradiction. It's actually an argument. It's an argument. The case would be the same in the case of Git and the case of death, and it's really an argument. This Braisa and the Mishnah are arguing. One is the teacher Tanya. We learn the Braisa. You can't testify regarding identifying a corpse on the basis of a mole. No, a mole is an identifying mark. So my Surely this is the argument. that biblically you can rely on identifying mark. Therefore, he says we can rely on it to release the wife. We can say based on the mole, there's a mole in the body that that the, that the husband is her husband is dead and she's free to marry. Amar uh, the rabbis holds Identifying marks are only rabbinic, and therefore you can't rely on it. And therefore, that explains the contradiction. 
the Braisa and the Mishnah. Our Mishnah that says you don't rely on identifying marks as opinion of the rabbis. That biblically you don't rely on identifying marks. The Braisa that says that you can give the get to the wife based on identifying marks holds like a belazer. But Mavai, that identifying marks is biblically valid. Amar Rav Rava says, no, he disagrees with Abaya. The cool Alma is in one of the rice. Really, I'll tell you, everyone holds identifying marks are biblically accepted. Here we're talking about a mole that's not unique. It's commonly found. So it doesn't prove that it's him. That's what they argue. Whether you can rely on identifying mark, you say, hey, you know, there's other people who also have the exact identical identifying mark. says, no, a mole is not commonly found on the same part of the body in one's contemporary. He's the same age. The same, uh, an exact same spot, an exact same mole. I mean, come on, that's far fetched. So, therefore, therefore, he holds it is an identifying mark. Everyone holds identifying marks as biblically valid. The question is, is this an identifying mark? Is a mole an identifying mark? That's the argument. Sometimes the other people, others say, Rabbi explains as follows. Okay. But the others say that Rabbah says, The argument is whether a mole can change after death. Mars, some of the rabbis hold the Shulishan can change. You can't rely on the identification because maybe the mole changed. Maybe it was a different mole. Now it matches, after it changed, it matches. But this is not the mole, this is not the husband. It doesn't change, so we can rely on it. It's an identifying mark. The country, everyone holds that the identifying mark is only rabbinic. You don't biblically, you don't rely on identifying marks. Over here, how could Abulazim Avayi say you allow the husband, allow the wife to marry based on the identifying, on the mole? Here, here we're talking about, it's more than just an identifying mark. It's, it's a, a unique identifying mark. It's a unique identifying So there, everyone holds it's biblical. It's biblically valid. Okay, now the Gemara, now we have to understand. According to Rav, how do you explain the contradiction of the mission of the Baraisa? According to the verse that Rav says that everyone holds that, that identifying marks is biblically valid, which explains the Baraisa give the get to the wife. Based on these identifying marks, how do you explain the Mishnah? Although there's identifying marks in, in the body and in his clothing, it's not, you can't rely on it and you don't allow her to marry. Why? My answer is, we're talking about what kind of identifying mark? Not a real identifying mark. He's short at all. Caleb, when you say the we identify marks in his garments, we mean the Hashid and the Shayla. Because maybe he borrowed it. Yes, maybe it is the other guy's suit. I know the suit. It's purple shmati. <laughs> he borrowed it from the owner. So I, can't, I can't say for certain that this is, this is the, uh, that the, the owner of the suit died. Maybe he lent it out. But, but, but. 
If you're worried about borrowing, so in a case where a person lost and found, how do you return a donkey based on identifying marks of the saddle? Maybe lend out, maybe the original owner lend out the saddle. So, it's, so this donkey is not, doesn't belong to him. No, a person doesn't lend out saddles. Because it would, it, it, would, it would hurt the hide of the donkey. Because it's not correct size. You have to fit it. It has to fit the donkey. So it's custom made. So you're not lending out. You're not lending out. A suit. A suit. A shmat. A suit. You can lend out. If you're worried about that maybe it was lent, so if he finds the get tied to a wallet, a money bag, a purse, how could you, how could you return it? Maybe the owner lent these articles to another person. And it was the borrower who tied the get to it. So it's not his get. It doesn't belong to the owner. How could you, how could you give the get to the wife? The mother says, to buy his a ring, you're not going to lend out. Because someone's going to counterfeit it. <laughs> counterfeit his ring. <laughs> a money bag and a purse. People are superstitious. That by lending these articles to another, they transfer their good fortune to the borrower. And therefore, they're not going to lend them out. So when a get is found, we can safely assume that it wasn't lent out. And if we and he recognizes it's his wallet, so we, we can return it. To the to the owner that it belongs to the owner. If you buy the same, uh, if you yeah, want, I'll tell you. Kedla with the mission it says identifying marks on his garment. It's referring to a case. The chibli v'sumki. It's like tall and short in the body. It's talking about whether it's uh, white or red. That's not re- and a real identifying mark. The mission says that even if you saw him hacked and he's, he's, he's dying from deadly wounds, he can't tell, and then you walk away, the witnesses can't testify, the witness can't testify. Are you telling me that a person could survive being hacked? I mean, I'll ask you, we learn the Baraiz, a person doesn't contaminate until his soul leaves his body. Even if he's suffering a deadly wound, he was hacked to death, I feel like he says, and even if he's, about to die. What's the mission telling us? He doesn't contaminate, but he can't live either. So why isn't it good enough? He's testified that he's hacked to death, even though they didn't see him die, because he can't live. He's, 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 a, he's definitely going to die. So I'm going to buy a It's not a contradiction. It's an argument. You could testify if someone was hacked. You could testify that he's dead. He died even though you didn't see him. You weren't standing there when he actually died when his soul left his body. But you're not allowed to testify someone who's hung. He can't testify that he's dead. He disagrees. Even someone who's hacked, he also can't testify. Why? A person could be healed. He can cauterize cauterize the wound and you could survive and soul of everyone agrees that you can't because maybe the rope was cut and survived even someone was hung up strung up lynched you can cut the rope maybe someone afterwards came and cut the rope and he was like but but Maguya that's an argument you're trying to say that our Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon ben Allah that says that 
that Maguyod, you can't testify until you actually see him die because maybe you can heal the wound, cauterize the wound, and it can heal. Vaktani Sefer, the Mishnah later on says, in the next Mishnah, it says, it was an incident in Asia. Someone was lowered into the sea. They also be and they retrieved the leg. The leg was severed above the knee. She could marry. His wife could remarry. If the mission that even if the leg was severed above the knee, the wife, the wife should not be permitted to marry because maybe you can cauterize the wounds. The saying, below the knee, you can live. But above the knee, you can't live. It's like hack. You can't live. But according to Abshim ben even below the knee, even above the knee, you can cauterize the wound and you can live. So the wife, you shouldn't allow the wife to marry based on the testimony. So he's saying, our mission is Abshim ben the next mission is not. The mother answers, wound that was immersed in water is different. So the water agitates the wound and doesn't allow it to be cauterized. Even Abshim ben would agree. In that case, that if he's, the leg is above the knee, that we can assume that he died and the wife is allowed to marry. I myself saw a certain arrow, the shuckle, took a sword and chopped off the leg of his camel above the knee. And he couldn't stop his howling until he died. Did not interrupt the howl until it died. It died so quickly, suddenly, it died immediately. It died before it even interrupted the howl, before he even completed the howl. In other words, the pain is so deep, so profound that he died right away. You can't be healed. So how can you say, according to Abshim ben you can heal, cauterize the pain and heal? And that's why Abshim ben says he can't testify in someone who's hacked. That camel is very weak. But a strong animal, the same, a strong person, wouldn't die so quickly, and therefore you could survive. If you cauterize it, you can survive. In the case, but if it's a, a camel is weak and the person is weak, you don't even have a moment. The person will die right away. You don't even have a moment to cauterize it. Obviously, in this case, the witnesses walked away. They saw him hacked. He didn't die right away. So obviously, he was strong. So you can't testify that the husband died. Our mission is talking about a case. A person was wounded with a superheated knife. Even according to the rabbis who argue of Shem if the wound was inflicted with a superheated knife, he could survive because the superheated knife cauterizes the wound. The very moment of the wound is cauterized. That's why he can live. says, can't testify that a, a person was devoured by a wild beast and unless they see him dead. It's only where they observe the animal eating from the area and the body of which the soul doesn't, doesn't depart. A limb, a part of the body which your life doesn't depend on it. So even though he started devouring the body, you can't assume he's going to finish e- eating the whole body. 
If they see him eating a part of the body which he can't live without that, and the soul of parts, he eating his heart, <laughs> then you can testify. Brain or intestine, then you can testify that he's dead. You don't have to see him die. You know he's dead. But so one slit two passages of a man's throat, the trachea and the esophagus, or the majority of both of the trachea and the esophagus. And then they see him, he ran away, they can testify, he and his wife is allowed to remarry. It's not so. It means he's still considered alive. He's not considered dead. Even though it's fatal and he can't live, but as long as he's alive, he can still give his wife a divorce. He can't speak anymore because his, 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 his trachea is sliced. The majority of his trachea is sliced. And his esophagus is dying, but he can, he can hint. He's still cognizant, he's still conscious. And he can still empower the witnesses to write a get, and it's a valid get. He doesn't want. He wants to save his wife from yibum. The mother answers, "Of course, Chayu. Yes, he's legally considered alive, but v'sefi lamas, he's definitely going to die, and that's why you can testify, and you can safely, you know, a hundred percent for certain that he died, and the wife is free to marry." If that's the case, so someone drops a knife and inadvertently slits another person. His, his, thro- his throat and his esophagus, his trachea, or the majority of it, he should be exiled. Aloma. But, but it's not so. Tanya will learn the Baraisa. Why then was it taught in the Baraisa? Loma. Aloma, why was it taught in the Baraisa? Shochat, Shnayim, Erev Shnayim, You don't send him into exile. So, as you might answer, Yitmar Allah, we learned over there. The reason is, I'm going to have the reason the one who killed inadvertently, unintentionally, he doesn't have to be exiled because we, we, we suspect that the wind aggravated the condition. So it wasn't just his, sli- his, his, his uh, action that caused the person to die. It was the wind that aggravated. Therefore, he doesn't go into exile. He only goes into exile if he's the sole cause of the death. Even though he's certainly going to die, but maybe the wind caused aggravated and caused him to die quicker, and for that alone, since he would have lived a little longer, you don't send him to exile. Inami or Sama, perhaps Maybe he hastened his own death. So even though he's definitely going to die, there's no question. But maybe he was writhing so quickly, he was moving his body so vigorously that he hastened his own death. When does the Tehidah say you go into Golos, you go into exile, or kill someone inadvertently? It's only if he dies immediately as a result of your action. But if it's delayed, and he didn't die immediately, and the reason he died sooner, quickly was because of his own doing, or because of the wind, then you don't go into exile. But surely you die immediately. Surely you're definitely going to die. What's the difference between these two reasons? Whether because he himself hastened his own death because he was writhing so vigorously or because of the wind aggravated it. The difference would be the shach, the base of the shisha park. If he, if he slit this person's throat inadvertently in a marble house where there is no wind, 
but the, the victim was was shaking vigorously. Inami or he killed him outside with a wind, but he didn't move. So he didn't. So if the reason is because he worried because of the wind, then he doesn't go into exile. But if the reason is because he hastened his own death, in this case he didn't hasten his own death, then you would go into exile. Everyone have a wonderful.